Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 2nd, 2022, including... Bethesda's Indiana Jones game may not be Xbox exclusive. We've got new information on the Xbox cloud streaming stick. Sonic Frontiers is looking great and more. On this day in Xbox history, Battle Paths released for the Xbox 360 in the UK in the year 2012. I have no idea what that is. Guys, welcome to episode 156 of the Xbox On Podcast. If my math is correct, and I'm only like 70% sure I'm correct, today is the three-year anniversary of the podcast. Uh, I started this three years ago, 52 weeks in a year, uh, 52 weeks times three is 156, right? So... This should be the thir- thir- third anniversary of the Xbox On podcast. It's crazy, man. Been doing this a long-ass time. Some of you guys were in diapers back when I was talking about how Halo 5 was a misunderstood emo game. But you you have grown up to be wise. Xbox, the ones I knew you could all be, you were all capable of. You just needed the Xbox Series X to help push you over the edge and get you... I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying. Guys, welcome to episode 156. We're not going to meander this much. Remember... We're doing a new format these days. We don't spend all of uh, the first 40 minutes of the podcast meandering about listening to headhunting Halo, talk about whatever the hell he's talking about, and then with me responding and somehow making it about Disney World. We're not doing that. We're talking about Xbox, okay? So let's get right into it. So I want to start this week's episode like I do now every week with our corrections from last week, follow-ups from last week, uh, bits of new information, or just stories of mild amusement, and it's, it's generally the latter. So... Guys, another good week here because we don't have an Activision update. That's right. We don't have to continue to talk about the lawsuits, the harassment claims, and all that because there's nothing uh, late breaking in the news this week pertaining to that. So we are all spared. Deep sigh of relief. And let's move on. So our first one this week is that Ubisoft will not be holding a major product showcase this month. This month, for those who haven't looked at the calendar yet, is June now. So yes, we are in full swing uh, E3, Summer Games Fest, E3 Alternative, whatever you want to call it, month. This is the month historically where all the big video game shit happens, and this year will be no exception. But Ubisoft won't be holding a live event of any sort. The French publisher traditionally holds a summer conference almost always in June to coincide with E3, but the company's spokesperson told Axios this week that that will not be the case in 2022. The representative of the company said it isn't pl- that the company isn't planning another product showcase until later this year. So supposedly, you know, we're getting something from Ubisoft later in the year. Now, this is, I don't know, this is noteworthy to me just because Ubisoft and EA, I always especially, actually, Scratch that. Ubisoft, EA, and then in recent years up until Xbox acquired them, Bethesda, were the three publishers I always associated with. You guys just have a showcase because you can, right? It's just because you want you want your name to be in the zeitgeist of, of every E3. You want 
to you want to make sure the public doesn't forget about you. You guys are so self-important that even though nine times out of ten Ubisoft doesn't need a conference, seven or eight times out of ten EA doesn't need a conference, and almost always Bethesda never needed a conference, but they always held one anyway. So this is really interesting because I think most of us would agree that generally Ubisoft doesn't fucking need a conference. Yet 2022 is the year where they finally choose, no, all right, I guess we don't need a conference. And, I mean, it's a little shocking considering that they, they even said last year that not having E3 and doing their own digital showcase um, actually drew a higher higher viewership than being attached to E3. So for them to not for that to have been true and then for them to not be doing anything this year, I mean, they've even they, we, we even have confirmation they're not going to be at Summer Games Fest either. Uh, Jeff Keighley's uh, game, game event this this June. So for them to have said all of that and for this to be the situation, this uh, th- I don't think this it bodes well for Ubisoft. And I know it sounds kind of hypocritical because it's like I probably bu- I've probably been begging for like the past decade or so for Ubisoft to stop showing up to E3 to show us the latest and greatest Just Dance game because we just don't give a shit. But for them to now suddenly not be there on top of all the rumors and such about some weird kind of takeover of the company or some kind of merger or acquisition on top of the sexual misconduct and harassment claims that they were facing even before everything that happened with Activision on top of the kind of trouble they're in right now where just all of their games are a little bit underperforming with the exception of like Assassin's Creed and people are just having some serious Ubisoft fatigue because well, let's be honest, there's a little bit of an identity crisis going on over there. They they fucked up with the whole trying to get involved with that Ubisoft Quartz fucking um, NFT stuff. And then they, they, they basically just announced a slew of the most forgettable milquetoast, what-the-fuck-is-this kind of free-to-play multiplayer games, some of which even already launched and failed, like we saw with Hyperscape. Ubisoft has not been in the best position lately. And so... This uh, I think this only adds to that narrative. Doesn't bode well for them, but you know, as as they say, apparently they're playing something for later this year. So if they can maybe come back in late summer or early fall uh, and have something really meaningful to say and kind of have their own spotlight separate from everybody else trying to hog the the spotlight around E three, I I think that could go well for them. But in for the time being, what's going on Ubisoft? So did want to just point that out. Now next up, this is some. Depending on how you want to look at it, I I think positive news, but VGC reports that the Callisto Protocol, the upcoming horror game from Dead Space creator Glenn Schofield, will no longer be a part of the PUBG universe. Speaking on Twitter, uh, Schofield said that the game will no longer take place in the PUBG universe. It was originally part of the PUBG timeline, but grew into something of its own, its own world. PUBG is awesome, and we will still have little, little surprises for fans. Callisto Protocol is its own world, story, and universe. End quote. The, announced, the game was announced back in December 2020 at the Game Awards. The Callisto Protocol is the brainchild of Dead Space creator Glenn Schofield, the former Sledgehammer Games and Visceral Games boss, who was appointed CEO of the new PUBG Corporation development studio Striking Distance back when it was formed in 2019. So I am on I am of the mind that this is this is good news. This game looks cool. I, I've said many times before, I never played Dead Space. It's one of my big, big, big gaming blind spots, especially from the 360 era, along with like Dead Space or, uh, or sorry, Mass Effect. Mass Effect and Dead Space, those are the two that I I feel the most pressure because I never have played them. Um, but I've always had an admiration for Dead Space because 
I've seen enough of it to know it has a very cool tone. It's a very cool concept for a game. I, I know I would probably like it if I just forced myself to play through them. So with that, the Callisto Protocol has kind of intrigued me ever since it was announced because I was like, oh, you know, well, maybe this will be a way for me to kind of get in on some of this Dead Space action in a more, you know how it goes. Sometimes you're like, oh, well, I missed that game, so maybe the boat sailed. But, you know, a sequel or reboot or some kind of spiritual successor comes along the way, and it feels like a good jumping on point for you. That's kind of how I was looking towards this game. So the only thing that was holding me back was having it kind of be this forced aspect of PUBG, especially a game that has no narrative and no identity. It's just a fucking game with generic people and generic weapons in a generic setting where you shoot people until only one person's alive. You know, no no disrespect to PUBG. It's a fine game. It's an important game if we're talking about the the massive popularity of Battle Royale games. And it's a, it's a fun game on its own. I, I enjoy PUBG just fine. But I, I don't think... PUBG's winning. I don't think anything that was particularly stand out about PUBG was its setting or its characters or its world, uh, of which there really is none. Obviously, the thing that makes PUBG so successful is that it, it kind of was the first big battle royale before Fortnite even. So I think this is wise to kind of distance those two things. I understand they wanted to grow the PUBG universe, the, the PUBG corporation, and I understand why you might want to do that, but they really don't have anything there with the PUBG universe, so maybe best to just own other studios and build other IP and try to diversify that way rather than to try and shoehorn everything into being one thing, uh, much like we saw Riot try to do with when they started making a bunch of other games that were in the League of Legends universe, although my brother had to uh, correct me this past week because I erroneously thought that Valorant was a, a League of Legends game, but apparently... That was at one point the case, or was intended to be the case, but actually is not the case, so I was wrong on that. Uh, Valorant is separate from PUBG, despite being a Riot game. Anyway, this is all good news to me. I liked seeing more unique IP, original IP, not having to tie everything together. We don't need to MCU everything. It's okay, guys, okay? Marvel makes sense. Historically, that's how comics work. There's always you know crossovers, and what if this character played with this character, and what if we did an alternate timeline where this guy didn't die, and that's kind of the fun in the kitsch of comic books when you have this this thing where it's like a new a new story has to be available to readers every month. You kind of understand how the history of comic books grew that kind of culture and cultivated it. And, you know, luckily for Marvel, they just so happened to really pull it off when they try to translate it from the comic books to the movies. But just because they found success in that does not need, does not mean everything needs to be some interconnected smart little universe where, Oh man, you got to play this game. If you really want to understand more context about the world of why a bunch of, why 100 people fall out of a fucking airplane hit the ground with parachutes and then start shooting each other until only one person is awarded a KFC bucket of chicken dinners. And no, we don't need, we don't need that. So I'm I'm pleased with this news. I, I assume most people are. This seemed like generally pretty well received uh, information. But also apparently this game is set to come out sometime early next year is the rumor at least. So that's funny considering Dead Space remake is also supposed to come out early next year. Now, I don't think either will. I'm sure because everything gets delayed, at least one of those games is going to get a lengthy, sexy delay, but whatever. It's possible that we get Glenn Schofield's new horror action third-person game alongside a remake of his old horror action third-person space whatever game, so that'd be interesting. All right, this next one, I feel like normally 
knowing this audience and knowing just Xbox fans in general, I feel like this should normally go in the ending segment of of stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. But fuck you, it's my podcast, and I love Sonic the Hedgehog, so I put it up here because. I'm, let me indulge for a second. I'm ex- I'm very excited about this news this week, and uh, I, I decided we had to put this at the top because this is just the most anticipated video game for me right now, now that Halo Infinite is out. So, this week, the first proper Sonic Frontiers gameplay was revealed. Following a gameplay teaser trailer earlier in the week published by, I- by Sega and IGN, the new video features seven minutes of the game in action, which is noteworthy because... Despite the game having been announced for well over a year, we haven't really seen jack shit of this game until now. Sonic Frontiers features an open-world level design, which Sega is referring to as Open Zone, of course a nod to the fact that Sonic levels have always been referred to as zones. Um, Players will battle enemies and explore the Starfall islands, including forests, waterfalls, deserts, and more. Set to release this holiday for Xbox One, Series X and S, and PC, Sonic Frontiers looks set to be Sega's uh, sorry, Sega's most ambitious series entry in years. I'm so hyped about this. Now, it's Sonic, so you got to keep in mind that Sonic's a weird thing because it's such an important franchise historically, and it's still every time a Sonic game comes out, especially a main entry, they always sell very, very well because I, I think Sonic still really appeals to younger generations of players, younger younger age game players, whatever you want to say. But the fact of the matter is the respect that Sonic once had in the hardcore gaming industry and with the game's media and kind of the people who quote-unquote matter when it comes to gaming, I feel like Sonic... I mean, I feel like we know that Sonic has severely fallen from grace over the past 20 years. It's, I mean, Sonic has been around at this point longer as a as a franchise that's somewhat of a meme and a, and a game that people think is was never as good as it was uh, made out to be than it has existed as, as a as a gaming franchise that people loved and adored and really thought highly of. So I know those Sega Genesis games, and you could argue up until the Dreamcast era, basically for as long as Sega was still making consoles, that Sonic was seen as a really premium game. It was basically Mario. You know, it was basically Sega's version of Mario, right? But obviously, in today's world, Sonic is not seen that way. Now, of course, Sonic has had somewhat of a redemption arc because in 2017, they released Sonic Mania, which was really well-received, and I, it's a very fantastic game, so understandably so. Um, as well, the, the two Sonic movies that have since been released... Um, both in 2020 and, and just this past April, respectively, uh, with one and two, those movies have been surprisingly well received. They've done great in the box office. They've done w- really well critically, and people generally seem to think Sonic has somehow pulled off some very solid video game movies. Um, so Sonic is in a weird space right now, where you know Frontiers is garnering a lot of attention, a lot of hype, a lot of interest, a lot of eyeballs, but it's not. It's not like I don't know. It's not like if they were showing off Breath of the Wild two which, you know, is a very anticipated game that we know is on the way. People can't wait to learn more about it. You know, Breath of the Wild 2, everyone tunes into a gameplay reveal for that, expecting to see the next Zelda game that's going to knock their socks off. Whereas Sonic Frontiers, a lot of people are going to watch because, you know, Sonic still sells really well to its fans and its younger players. And Sonic's a really important franchise with a very serious history and important contribution to gaming. And right now, Sonic has been in the less shitty graces of consumers but at the end of the day people come into this expecting to see this game not do well expecting to see this game be a flop i mean you think about the last main entry 3d sonic game we had sonic forces which as a big sonic fan i can tell you 
Sonic fans fucking hate Sonic Forces. It, it is definitely one of the weakest Sonic games we've ever gotten, for sure. Now, I am a glutton for punishment, and I have a very, very uh, big, uh, powerful ability to admire and appreciate and still find um, things to love in games that are objectively bad. So even though I recognize Sonic Forces is one of the worst Sonic games ever released... I've enjoyed that game quite a bit. I bought it on Xbox and Switch. I've beaten it countless times. I've probably poured 40 to 50 hours in it between both platforms. I really enjoyed Sonic Forces, despite being able to objectively notice that it is not a good game. So for me, I'm just excited because we're getting more Sonic. I love Sonic. But for a lot of other people, I know we're looking at a game that the expectation is it will disappoint. It will be janky. It will control like shit. The story will be cringe. It will be a little bit budgety because Sonic games have been a little bit more on the budgety side. I mean, honestly, the last few Sonic games have been $40 releases. And, you know, it's just it's just that thing that people can't wait to talk about how Sonic's not good. Sonic was never good. Mario's better. Blah, blah, blah. Even though these are really kind of tired and antiquated arguments that still happen to this day. So I just I feel like that all about preference and preface and context is important going into this but with that out of the way i i gotta say i think sonic frontiers looks uh quite quite interesting i am mixed on it because this is the first time we see sonic do the thing that every fucking publisher and video game developer feels the pressure to do which is let's make an open world game you know last year halo finally made the jump uh but everyone in every game you've ever loved is a fucking open world game now so in some cases, it works out great. In some cases, I think it's unnecessary. In the case of Sonic Force Frontiers, this is uh, this is a to be determined because I think a lot of people saw this this gameplay and thought, "What what is this?" You know, it's it's cool that as Sonic you could just run around this big open world. You don't have to worry about just falling off cliffs and tight platforming because that's always been Sonic's weakness in 3D games is you go too fast, the controls are too slick and slippery, and it's hard to do precise platforming on these tight linear levels. But an open world should address most of that because now you can just run and have big, open, empty spaces to do your thing and be Sonic. The problem is... God, I feel like I have so many things to say. The problem is Sonic is... And this has always been my argument for Sonic. Sonic is like one-third a platformer game so that's why you know it's it's fair to compare it to mario but it's not like mario or these other or kirby or fucking all these platform games that people know because sonic for as much as it is a character platformer it is also equal parts a racing game and it is equal parts a rhythm game and this is the thing i feel like general audiences really fail to understand with sonic and maybe this is a fundamentally bad type of game to develop and it doesn't have mass appeal and that's why sonic struggles in the modern era to capture an audience and to prove itself to hardcore gamers is because maybe this is too convoluted of a genre but i and i feel like sega fails to even understand this but sonic is really equal parts a platformer a rhythm game and a racing game because in a mario game you pick it up you understand the mechanics you can go forward you can go backwards you can jump and then you can pick up this item, break that block. This item lets you throw a fireball. This item lets you be a penguin. All these little simple mechanics. It's very intuitive. You pick it up, and the game immediately communicates itself so well to you. Anyone can get it. Sonic, despite the fact that it looks like it works similarly, does not work similarly. I think I think Sonic needs more comparisons to games like Guitar Hero, honestly, because you think about a game like Guitar Hero, the first time anyone picked up that game, they sucked at it. I remember the first time I played Guitar Hero 2, I struggled with medium mode, 
And, you know, fast forward to, like, my peak Guitar Hero years during, like, Guitar Hero World Tour and shit, I, I can play fucking any song on expert mode, not even facing the TV with my eyes closed. You know, it's like, you get good at it because you memorize the songs, you train, you practice, and you get better and better and better. Sonic has that quality where the game kind of demands for you to learn the levels, understand there are branching pathways, get really good at Sonic's mechanics, and try to, like, learn the rhythm of, like, yes, after you spin dash through this, you want to jump up there, you want to... And it's about trying to keep that momentum, keep that speed. And I feel like this is something people fail to understand with Sonic. And it's really, really fundamental. And I feel like if we're going to have an open-world Sonic game, this is the thing that, ha that, that stands to potentially be lost in translation the most, which is that rhythm that Sonic is so dependent on, where I can picture... Yeah, it's cool. You know, there's an enemy in the distance you're trying to get to, and you can just zoom through this big, open, empty world and maybe grind on a little rail here or jump off that little thing there. But at the end of the day, the thing that makes modern Sonic special is it keeps that rhythm and that racing and that kind of momentum-based gameplay intact that was so important in the classic Sonic games like 1, 2, and 3 and really brought back into the focus with my favorite Sonic game, Sonic Unleashed, into some other really excellent 3D Sonic games like Sonic Colors and Sonic um, Generations, which are generally considered like the best Sonic 3D games from a gameplay perspective. I, I worry about 3D not being able, or 3D, I worry about an open world setting not being able to do this justice because the, the thing about an open world game is you can't really have highly intentionally designed gameplay moments. The, the fundament, There's a fundamental difference between a linear game and an open world game. In a linear game, you're saying to the player, listen, we're trying to design this very specific experience. We want you to generally experience this, this, and this in this order, in this fashion, because we know it will make for an enjoyable experience. So in a Sonic game, you know, it's generally it's like a very linear experience where it's like you zoom through this, you go through that corkscrew, you jump up this, maybe it branches into two or three different paths where it's like you go up, you can avoid the water and you can do more platforming. You go down, there's less platforming, but you go slower because you're being punished for not having done that successful platforming on the higher tier. And so Sonic always made sense in that way. It's like you memorize the level, very intentionally designed from start to finish. It's a point A, point B game. And all the speed and momentum and success and failure of the game is dependent on your ability to master that intentionally designed level from start to finish. But if your game is open world, you can't meticulously design every nook and cranny of the level and of the world because it's not possible for a player to experience the game exactly the way you intend. That's, that is both the genius and the downfall of open world games is that in an open world game, and this is why I think Breath of the Wild is so successful, is because it kind of gets this, despite the fact that its open world is completely boring as hell and has literally nothing to do in it and nothing to interact with and has no NPCs, no characters, nothing, and people give it a pass all the time for it, despite the fact. I think the reason why people like Breath of the Wild so much is because it embraces this core aspect of open world games where it says, we just want you to do this one thing, and we don't give a fuck how you do it. I don't care if you skip 40 hours of the gameplay and find some really crazy way to get around to the boss, the final boss. I don't care if you go meticulously through every little dungeon and puzzle to unlock every little thing and, and learn and master the mechanics and find the best weaponry and everything and build your way up to the end. I don't care if you fucking slingshot a, a bomb at a wall that pushes you over the wall when you, in reality you were actually supposed to do this little quest that would gain you access to the gate in, in between the walls to get you into the... Whatever. Breath of the Wild basically says, here's here's our ideal objective, you get there however the fuck you want. That's a cool concept, especially in a game like Zelda, I think it makes sense and fundamentally works, 
but I don't know that that's going to make sense for Sonic because then you take away those cool scripted speed-based moments of like, yeah, it feels like you're just getting faster and faster and faster because you dodged the barrels and then you ran up the wall and then you jumped over the little platforms real fast and then you popped all the balloons and in, in, in spin dash from balloon to balloon to enemy to balloon and then you got to the top of the tower and then you jumped on the grind rail and took it all the way down the tower spinning around and around and around. Sonic Unleashed had a lot of those moments where it's like it feels so cinematic, it feels so fast and it feels like you did it even though the game is kind of half guiding you through it. And it just, it feels exciting. It feels exhilarating. I don't know how you create those moments if the game is open and you can't control how the player gets to where you want to go. So that's my big concern going into this game. I think that's the thing Sega and Sonic Team have to prove is if they can somehow make something feel fundamentally like a Sonic game and give you that sense of rhythm and speed and that, that feeling like you're racing against something, you're trying to get from point A to point B in the fastest amount of time possible, in the most stylistic and smooth way possible, but also have you know platforming elements. I don't know how you pull that off in an open world where open world's approach is usually take your time, explore stroll around you know you can't really take your time and stroll around a world you're being asked to run through and so I feel like Sonic Frontiers really has to figure out how can how can the formula of Sonic complement and benefit and further the fundamental gameplay philosophy of an open world and I think that's a really hard question to answer and I think people have lots of reason to be critical of this game but on top of that, people just kind of hate Sonic and always look for a reason to shit on Sonic. So it's got two things going for it in that regard. But again, people are more optimistic about Sonic right now than they have been in a long time with the movies being good and with Mania being good and all this shit. So it's kind of a really exciting moment for Sonic because they're really breaking away from the traditional gameplay design in a lot of ways. The brand is severely damaged but kind of has some goodwill going for it right now. And... This is kind of a, like, let's see which way the wind blows, you know? I could easily see Sonic Frontiers being a Metacritic of a 45, but I could also kind of see it being a Metacritic of, like, a 77. I, I definitely don't see it being, like, an A or B game because it's Sonic 3. Sonic will never do well. I feel like even if it's a 10 out of 10 game objectively, it's still going to Metacritic an average of, like, 77 because people hate Sonic. But... I don't know. I'm really curious to see how this game goes. I think what we saw from the gameplay it looks a little rough around the edges. Lots of texture pop in, a little bit of frame rate stuttering. It looks like sometimes Sonic is moving really smooth, but sometimes when you move to other things like grinding on rails versus running, he gets a little like stiff and stilted. Some of it looks like it could be solved with some better animations, uh, but some of it looks like it's fundamentally just a little stiff. I don't know. I, I feel very mixed about it. It's really weird seeing this beautiful, breathtaking, kind of realistic-looking foresty um, fantastical world mixed with this cartoon hedgehog running around it it looks kind of like Zelda Breath of the Wild meets Xenoblade Chronicles and I just in in you know um, what's his name uh, Mr. O I forget his first name o Otani the uh, composer of most modern Sonic games he makes some of my all-time favorite music he's honestly one of my favorite musicians um but just of him trying to do this more like fantasy, classical, melodic kind of almost Zelda Breath of the Wild or even Kingdom Hearts, I might say, kind of sound, score and soundtrack um, just has me a little bit disappointed because like I, I want to hear that kind of like chip tune, 8-bit or like punk rock kind of various tones and sounds that you're used to getting in Sonic games. 
And so, I don't know. This is a huge departure for the series. I'm really looking forward to it. This is definitely one to keep your eyes on, especially in a year where nothing is happening. You know, Starfield got delayed. Redfall got delayed. We don't know if Sony has anything with God of War and all that. So, it's very possible that, you know, aside from, like, Hogwarts Legacy, which I said I think is getting delayed, Batman Arkham Knights, which is uh, seemingly coming out this year, and then Modern Warfare 2, which, of course, will undoubtedly be a huge game. Um, Sonic Frontiers is actually kind of one of the only only games now. Of course, Sonic Frontiers isn't going to really go neck and neck or toe to toe with Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, but I don't know. It might <laughs> it, it might just be dead enough this year that if they can make their holiday 2022 release date, fuck this game. I mean, this game might this game might actually stand out a little more. Although I, I I'll close with this. Sega did say that they're really hoping that this will be kind of like the revitalization of 3D Sonic and kind of bring the franchise back to a level of respect and admiration that the franchise once held during the era of like Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 on the Dreamcast and GameCube. I think that's a very, very difficult thing to chase and it's very unlikely because as a diehard Sonic fan, I will tell you this, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 are not as good as people say they are. It is. It, it was a time and place thing. The games have not aged as well as people say they have. I think people are very nostalgic because those games felt very next-gen and felt very wacky in 90s, and somehow the stars aligned and everything about that game really meshed with the time period in which it was they were released. And I don't think they can... I don't think they can accomplish that simply by, by virtue of just trying to really reinvent Sonic. I think... I, I think that is that was lightning in a bottle and they can't recapture it in a way. Um, but they are confident, or or they they say their goal is to make this one of the Sonic games that gets a lot more critical reception and praise, getting a higher Metacritic score, and having more respect and 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 kind of a longevity like the old Sonic Adventure games did. But again, it's like you you should have that expectation for every major Sonic game. Like, does that what does that mean when Sonic Forces or Sonic uh, Lost World came out that you you thought it was going to be a middle of the road? So, like, what does that fucking mean? But but I digress. So that's Sonic Frontiers. If you're even remotely interested in Sonic, I highly recommend you check out that seven-minute gameplay video. IGN has exclusive IGN first access to the game all month, so they'll be publishing more and more um, exposés and editorials and, and video footage of the game. I'm excited to see what the combat looks like because from what we saw, it looks like the game is very like light puzzle, lots of exploration, but like a big empty world with not much to do in it. So I'm a little yeah, I'm, I'm a little. God, I'll just, one more thing. I'll just say this. The last thing is, one of the really cool things about what Sonic fans refer to as the Boost era Sonic games, which is Sonic Unleashed, Generations, uh, Forces, and Colors, was the fact that you control the speed with Sonic. It is that you earn boost, and like a racing game, you just you just kind of add that boost in as you as you run, as you platform. You can throw more and more boost and go faster and faster and faster and hold it down and go as fast as possible. But in this, they've relegated the boost to be like a button you press and it is a one time you get a little short boost initial uh like jump of 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 movement and i think that's good for traversing an open world game but it kind of flies in the face of sonic's whole mantra which is of course got to go fast because now your speed is being capped and it makes sonic's movement more on exploration and platforming and less on going fast which again is i think one of those things where is Sonic's inherent, you know, whole thing contradictory to what an open world game is supposed to be? But we'll find out. So 
that's the thing I've been thinking about the most and most excited to talk about as far as video games are concerned right now. So I'm sure you could you could tell I had a lot to say there. Um, but we have one more story. Actually, no, we have two more stories of mild amusement, but these are much faster, especially the second one. Uh, before we get into the proper news this week, now, VGC relays that Microsoft have announced details of the June Xbox system update. It'll introduce the ability for players to reveal details about secret achievements, including the title, achievement description, and the amount of gamer score. So this is a huge deal. I mean, I I don't know. I I think this is kind of crazy, right? Because as as long as secret achievements have been a thing, like that's kind of of supposed to be like the fun of it is like, oh, you don't know how to unlock this. You'll learn about it once you unlock it. It's supposed to just incentivize you to play the game, play it differently, explore and see more. And eventually you will earn achievements just from trying to experience the game to its fullest. Now, of course, for as long as achievements and secret achievements have been around, this whole idea of a secret achievement has had an easy and often used exploit, which is the ability to just go online to something like AchievementHunters.com or something like that or True Achievements and just be like, "Uh, fuck you, I'm going to look up Left 4 Dead Achievement Guide. Oh, look. Here are the achievements that are labeled as secret achievements. This is what they're called. This is what you got to do to unlock them. This is what they're worth. So people have been working around this forever, which, you know, for some people takes the fun out of it. But for a lot of people, especially achievement hunters, this is just a proper means to an end. But to now straight up introduce the ability for gamers to control this, I I don't know. I feel like this is something that, like, you would have expected to see many, many years ago. So I guess better late than never. But also, that's a, I don't know. I feel like that's a pretty notable change. Also, in the same update, they uh, there was a question. Someone asked about if they would ever bring back the snap feature that was introduced with the Xbox One back when it was you know first launched with the, alongside Connect 2.0. Of course, for those who don't remember, snap was the amazing feature which allowed you to play a game and snap in a second app using about like one quarter of the screen. So like, let's say you're playing Titanfall. And this is my example because I did this all the fucking time. You were playing Titanfall on your Xbox One. You could snap MLB or snap Hulu. And like it would take the right or left side of your screen. It would take a quarter of the screen and have, you know, your MLB game, your your baseball game or whatever you're watching on Hulu kind of in the corner. So you can like, you know, grind levels on Titanfall while also watching Community or, or, or catching up on with your Tampa Bay Rays. This is a feature I really adored and used a whole bunch. But someone was asking about if it would ever come back, if there's any plans to bring it back. And Eden Marie, an engineer lead at Xbox, uh, wrote in the blog post responding to the to the the outcries for Snap, saying that uh, it's unlikely Microsoft will ever bring back the Snap feature. She said, "While we miss Snap, I don't think it's ever coming back." Or so that I mean, or she said, "I don't think it's coming back." She didn't say ever, but yeah. So they were they were they removed that feature. If Xbox One was 2013, they removed it around like 2016 or 17 to improve system performance and RAM with the console and make multitasking easier and smoother. And I mean, I I get why it was removed, but man, oh man, I just. I loved Snap so much. I lament, I lament the, the the loss of this. I feel like this is just one of those like really weird, quirky Xbox One TV focused features that, of course, people were clamoring to make fun of Xbox for. But for those of us who weren't just shitting on Xbox for the sake of trying to be like the cool kids and buy a PS4 while shitting on Xbox, and who actually used this feature, we know that it was actually a fucking cool feature. I would still use it to this day if I could. In fact, still to this day, there are times where I'm playing my Xbox. And I'll have like my Surface Pro with the kickstand out watching TV or watching 
baseball or something. I, I've done that in the past because I can't snap on my Xbox anymore. So bring it back. Rest in peace, Snap. But uh, lastly, this is just a quick one. Uh, veteran Final Fantasy producer and former franchise brand manager Shinji Hashimoto has today announced his retirement. Hashimoto joined Square Enix in 95 and was a producer or executive producer uh, on virtually every Final Fantasy game until or since 97's Final Fantasy 7. He, was, he also served as brand manager of the franchise, overseeing the business and marketing aspects of the RPG series for a decade before stepping down from his role last year. Hashimoto also helped birth the Kingdom Hearts franchise, too, and served as producer and executive producer on every series entry. So, I wanted to say, Shinji Hashimoto, you know, have a nice retirement, notable man, very important man, especially because Final Fantasy is such a um, seminal game for so many gamers, seminal franchise, I should say. But then it mentioned the part about him helping to birth the Kingdom Hearts franchise, to which I say, maybe maybe he should have retired 20 years ago, you know? But guys, that's it for all of our updates, stories of mild amusement, uh, su- such uh, of that nature. But now that we've changed up the show, we don't jump into comments after this, it's time to just move on over to the new segment. But first... We always take a, a little bit of a breather and we go over the games I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I gotta tell you about what I've been eating. And guys, I have so much good news for you right now because Mountain Dew and and I'm so, I'm tired of being so negative about things I love. I love Halo. I feel like I've been very critical and bitter about Halo lately with um, the TV show kind of meh and with Halo Infinite just making a lot of mistakes that. I just just have put me off of the game for a while and I'm tired of being disappointed and negative when it comes to Mountain Dew, you know, my favorite brand of, 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 of beverages and, and with their constant <clears throat> obsession with new flavors, new flavors, new flavors. They don't care about the quality and what makes a Mountain Dew flavor, Mountain Dew flavor. They just care about shitting out new products every other week. But finally, I have some good news. I'm not going to be a negative Nancy because Mountain Dew themselves have released a new flavor, shocker, uh, called Mountain Dew Purple Thunder. And it's exclusive to Circle K gas stations, which is shitty for a lot of people who don't have access to Circle K. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I ever fucking saw a Circle K gas station in my entire life until I moved to Florida. Uh, now I just so happen to be fortunate enough to live walking distance from a Circle K. So, But it's exclusive to that, that convenience store, and it is a berry plum Mountain Dew flavor. And I got to be honest, I had no expectation. A lot of you guys have written in about it. Um, I had no expectation going in because Mountain Dew has disappointed me so severely with its recent flavors. You know, fucking Flamin' Hot Dew is whatever. It's just a gimmick. Um, The gingerbread flavor they did for Christmas is absolutely disgusting. This fucking raspberry lemonade and watermelon and frosty melon shark flavor and all this stuff they've been doing over the past year. It's like, yeah, it's cool. It's fun. They got cool can art. But none of these flavors tasted like Mountain Dew. They just tasted like... Fanta drinks or generic sodas with the Mountain Dew logo on it. I feel like they're watering down the brand and the integrity of Mountain Dew by just shitting out flavor after flavor. Whereas in the past, Mountain Dew used to very deliberately take their time with Mountain Dew and only release a new flavor every now and then. And they'd always make sure it had an authentic Mountain Dew taste, but a really interesting spin on the formula. And it just hasn't been the case in a while. So I'm really happy to report to you guys. I've tried Mountain Dew Purple Thunder and despite going into it, expecting absolutely nothing. Actually, I expected it to kind of suck because it's purple and I hate grape and I thought it would maybe be a little bit like a grape flavor. Purple Thunder is the best Mountain Dew we've had and I'll say probably since 
Yeah, probably since Mountain Dew Liberty Brew in 2019 or the first version of Mountain Dew um, Voodoo, which was released in October, September of 2019. So it's been a while, probably the first time in about three years. Mountain Dew has released a really seriously legitimate flavor of Mountain Dew that's worth a damn. Now, one thing to know about this, every Mountain Dew flavor is kind of based on another, you know, they take one of the core flavors and they build off that formula, you know, like, like Voodoo is based off Whiteout, which is of course the best Mountain Dew. Um, the new, uh, Flamin' Hot Dew is based off of Livewire, which is the orange Mountain Dew that's increasingly hard to get now. Um, a lot of Mountain Dew flavors are based off classic Mountain Dew, the yellow one, you know, the greenish yellow one. Mountain Dew Purple Thunder is actually based off Mountain Dew Voltage, which is one of the greatest Mountain Dew flavors of all time. And this basically tastes like that, but with like a, an enhanced or not enhanced, but like a different kind of berry profile. And then you get like a kind of plum finish to it. I feel like the finish is a little bit weak on this, but otherwise it tastes like a very fun voltage alternative flavor. And in fact, I was so pleasantly surprised with this that I went ahead and bought a handful of, of bottles. This is the first time Mountain Dew's come out with a new flavor in a while where I actually went out and intentionally bought more than just the obligatory I'll try it once bottle. And so I've, I've, I've had this a couple times now in the past week just because I'm just so excited to have a Mountain Dew worth being excited about again. And it's been quite, quite delicious, quite fun. Uh, I need to watch it because I am still calorie counting and it's not available in zero sugar. So I definitely need to lay off of it. But guys, if you are like me and you've been a little disappointed in recent history with Mountain Dew's lackluster output with their their approach of quantity over quality, I think Mountain Dew Purple Thunder might pleasantly surprise you. It is a true Mountain Dew flavor in, in, in its at its core. And it reminds us why we love the brand to begin with, why we love that soda profile. Guys, shout out to Mountain Dew Purple Thunder. And also, shout out to Mountain Dew Typhoon, which is one of the very best Mountain Dew flavors released back in like 2000. 11 2009 somewhere around that time uh mountain dew just announced that they're bringing it back for a short period of time but you gotta order it on the website i luckily was able to lock in a pre-order today for that so i will be getting a pack of that sent in the mail it'll be the first time i've tried typhoon in over a decade i remember adoring this flavor when i was a kid so i really really hope it holds up but uh shout out to mountain dew they're doing some some cool things despite a couple of years or some really mediocre flavors. Um, also, as a side note, I didn't eat this this week, but Arby's apparently has burgers on the menu now. So just put a pin in this. I will be going out of my way to try this. I'm very curious about what this entails. So to be determined, um, if you have tried it yourself, please write in. But Arby's is selling cheeseburgers now. So that's a whole thing we have to we have to tackle. Now, that's it for what I've been eating, but guys, let's talk about what I've been playing before we jump into the news this week, and I gotta be honest, this past week, I finally broke my funk of just not making a lot of time for gaming. Uh, you know, three-day weekend, we had Memorial Day weekend here, so I had a little bit more free time on my hands, and I finally just pushed myself, I was like, you gotta play some video games, man, you can't just, you can't just be out here fucking doing these rock concerts and, and meeting fans and signing autographs and tra traveling the world and doing fashion magazine modeling ads and stuff. At some point, you got to settle down and, and go back to your roots and do what you do best, which is sit on the couch and play Xbox. So I made sure I did that this week. And I played so many hours of Crossfire X this week. And I, I know it's like, Jesse, what are you doing? You're wasting your Jesse, get back there finish Far Cry 6 so you can move on to something else. Jesse, when are you going to try Elden Ring? Jesse, when are you going to play I don't know, people always recommend I play stuff like Fallout 76 or fucking uh, 
Bubsy 3D. I don't know. Jesse, when are you going to play something new? I can't help it, guys. Crossfire X brought me back in. They, they have this new multiplayer map. It's super good. I was refreshed and reminded with why I love this game so much. And I don't have too much to add to it because we talked about Ad Nauseum when it came out three or four months ago. But I, I genuinely love Crossfire X. And, and I just got to say, first of all, they've updated the hell out of this game, constantly tweaking it, making it run, perform, and be a little less janky. The game is undoubtedly still a somewhat odd, slightly janky kind of free-to-play multiplayer experience of you can tell this is a developer that has a lot of experience on PC, but not a lot of experience on Xbox. And so there's a little bit of this weird translation translation jank of like, we're not traditionally a console developer. Smilegate, that is. And so while the game still feels a little rough around the edges in some ways, it feels vastly improved from what we got a few months ago when it came out. But more importantly to that, I just got to say, I love this game so much. And I, I, I it saddens me that we can't have stuff like this more and more these days because the competition is so fierce in the games industry, especially with games, more games coming out than ever before. You know, there's, there's always more games coming out than we could ever have reasonable amount of time to tackle. And there are so many free to play games out there that are really good that it's, it's hard to give any attention or time to a game that isn't instantly phenomenal from the get. And so I understand these things, but I, I think Crossfire X was truly done dirty in the end because no disrespect to a lot of really likable games, YouTubers and, and Xbox commentators who completely lambasted this game. I respect a lot of these people, but I think a lot of people completely missed the point of what Crossfire X is. I think a lot of people jumped in, didn't see that it was just free-to-play Call of Duty made in Asia, and immediately were like, this game sucks. And Kronky and I have this conversation all the time because he likes this game a lot, and we play it together a lot. And he, he puts it best because Kronky is one of those crazy fucking humans who has, like, thousands of hours poured into, like, various Counter-Strike games. He plays a lot of CSGO. He's played a lot of Counter-Strike Source back in the day and all that. And he, he kind of put it best, which is that Crossfire, and, and this is not this is common knowledge if you're talking about especially original Crossfire, the original free-to-play PC game that, you know, set all of the world minus North America on fire, which is that Crossfire X really is a console version of CSGO. It's like, what if we could take a game like Counter-Strike, make it doable for the console market? Now, I know they made, they put Counter-Strike Go or on um, on like Xbox 360 and PS3 back in the day, and Valve never really supported it, and it kind of went away after a little while. Um, but there's never really been a true Counter-Strike type game available for console. And I feel like with people constantly looking at Crossfire X and being like, oh, this game is shit. Go play Battlefield. Go play Call of Duty. Go play Halo. It's like you're missing the point. Crossfire X is not that kind of game. And in fact... That's the thing I love about it so much is I'm usually a pretty impatient gamer, which is part of why Call of Duty works for me so much is because Call of Duty really rewards that I want to play a game with a lot of action, but I don't want to think about it and I don't want to be skilled. I just want to run and gun, run and gun. And that's Call of Duty's bread and butter. You know, it's like you spawn instantly, you run in, you shoot, maybe you get an instant kill, maybe you get an instant death, but you're right back in the action in less than a second. Crossfire kind of scratches that itch of like, there's no real penalty for dying unless you're playing, of course, Search and Destroy. And spawn times are really, really fast. And the action can be twitchy and fast and fluid like Call of Duty. But it also is a pretty tactical game. You should not just be running for the sake of running and just shooting at shit for the sake of shooting at shit. The game really naturally and just kind of 
intelligently encourages you to be a little more thoughtful about the way you play it. You know, don't just run out into the open. Take cover. Hide behind this objective. Pop out. Scope out the area. See if any enemies are around. Try to think and use your environment to your advantage. And the game has very smart maps, very carefully crafted maps. And people always complain about how the game doesn't have enough maps. But it's like, again, you're missing the point. In games like Call of Duty, they have 16 maps because all the maps are just different settings to justify the same fucking concept of running gun, running gun, running gun, die, running gun, die, running gun, running gun, running gun, you know, over and over again. Whereas Crossfire, it's like, no, 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 every map is like a different mode because you play every map differently. You learn the map. You you play to the advantages of the map more so than, and of course you do do that in games like Halo and Call of Duty, don't get me wrong, but it's much more deliberate to the point where like, the game mode can feel entirely different depending on what map you're playing because you interact with the world differently. The way the teams are split up is entirely conceptualized differently. The game has a lot of PC-centric ideas, PC-centric modes, PC-centric um, kind of maps and sensibilities to the, the way you're supposed to approach the game. I feel like it really doesn't resonate with what console gamers have been brought up to understand first-person shooters to be. And by this game just kind of, you know marketing itself as like a new free-to-play first-person shooter for the xbox it kind of did itself dirty and the world kind of did, did the game a little dirty by not recognizing and pointing out that this isn't really just another fun free-to-play running gun multiplayer game this is like trying to do counter-strike on xbox and it feels fast and fluid and enjoyable and approachable but it also feels tactical and rewarding like the feedback you get from getting a kill in this game is very very satisfying and that feeling of like surviving a, a, a search and destroy map and planning your objection and objective and holding down your base and all this stuff. Like it's really, really rewarding because it's not like Call of Duty where it's like you're just going to get a cheap death or a cheap kill because the game is predicated on tag. You know, I saw you first. Now I win. It, it's a very much a game of like tactics of like what, what weapon do you want to use for this mode in this map? Uh, how do you want to approach this objective? How do you, you know, it's, and you think about it a lot more. The game inherently naturally makes the player want to think a little harder. And I just find, I don't know, I, I go on and on too much, but I, I just think Crossfire X is such a good game. And I admire and appreciate it. As someone who was a youth during the N64 to OG Xbox GameCube PS2 years, I grew up on games that were cheap budget licensed games or games that were pretty good but were subject to being early 3D games where camera features just weren't really fleshed out properly and where gameplay was just a little janky and quirky compared you know compared to today where any third you know any uh, 3D game is just really polished really perfect you know and so I have a lot of nostalgia and a very high tolerance and appreciation for games that have a little bit of jank are a little bit imperfect you know we talk about Halo and it's like we we complain about like really modern gaming kind of things about like, hmm, skill-based matchmaking or hmm, letting console and PC players play together. Is that really fair? These are very like modern things to debate about a video game. But with Crossfire, it's still fundamentally such a good game, but it's got a little bit of like old world jank where it's just like, ah, yeah, the aim assist is just a little not there, you know? It's, it's stuff like that. But I don't know. I find it like endearing and enjoyable. And in a way, I play Crossfire and I'm not like, I love this the same way I love Halo. I play Crossfire. I'm like, I love this game. I recognize a smaller team is working on supporting and developing this game. And I'm rooting for them. I, I hope this game turns it around. I hope somehow there's some 
re remarketing push this game later once more content and stuff is out and that they're able to kind of recapture an audience and maybe find find a way for this game to survive maybe it has a rainbow six siege moment where it kind of just slowly and quietly grows into its own thing but the game definitely looks like it is dying and it just isn't getting attention and i find that sad because i really love this game quite quite a lot a bit so that's what i've been playing this week guys but with that all out of the way longer than usual um, run up to the news but we don't have a terribly long news week although i do say that every time we end up having a three-hour show don't i uh let's jump into the news guys okay so our first and biggest story of the news week gotta talk about the bethesda's indiana jones game so as reported by vgc bethesda's upcoming indiana jones game currently in development by wolfenstein studio machine games may not be an xbox exclusive it has been claimed Speaking on the Xbox Two podcast, Windows Central's Jez Corden says, hey, hey, Jez, how you doing? We always always mention you. Says that he'd heard about a year ago that the game would not be exclusive to Xbox, despite being developed by a now Microsoft-owned Machine Games. While discussing the game, Corden's co-host Rand, Randall Thor, I always, I, does he just, I guess it's Randall? I know his name is Randall, but I guess he's just, that's, I don't, I don't know. He's a prominent person. I've just only ever seen him on Twitter, so I don't know. Anyway, while discussing the game, uh, Corden's co-host, Randall Thor, said, We don't know if it's exclusive, to which Corden replies, it isn't. He goes on, the only information I've heard is that Indiana Jones, on Indiana Jones, is that it wasn't exclusive, but that was a long time ago. Maybe something has changed. Machine Games Indiana Jones, which was announced early last year, is being worked on in collaboration with a newly reformed Lucas Games. Executive produced by Elder Scrolls and Fallout director Todd Howard, the Indiana Jones game will tell a wholly original standalone uh, tale set at the height of the career of the famed adventurer, Bethesda said. Quote, it'll be some time before we have more to reveal, but we're very excited to share the news the company added at the time of the announcement. So this is quite confusing. This I, I feel like this is such a weird, hard spot to be in, right? As a fan of video games, I don't wish for anything to be exclusive. I think if this game ends up being multi-platform, that is great for gamers. I want more people in more places to be able to enjoy more games. I don't want to exclude people. I think this is a really, really, really toxic and shitty and childish place for people to come from in in the console wars where people are like oh man i oh, our game's exclusive suck it playstation or playstation fans are like bet you wish you had cool exclusives like we do you stupid xbox fuck you but obviously the traditional conventional wisdom in the console gaming space says that exclusive games are what sell your console if Call of Duty is available on Xbox and PlayStation, no one gives a shit which consoles which. They just want the thing to play Call of Duty on. But if Xbox has Halo and PlayStation has Uncharted and they both have Call of Duty and you want to play all these games, now you got to decide, well, which one do I like more, Uncharted or Halo? And so conventional wisdom says that console exclusives are how you sell your console. It's how you sell it. Makes, it makes sense, right? We are starting to see more and more a world where console exclusive matters less, or at least in the traditional way we in which we've known it. You think about PlayStation right now with their really heavy emphasis and move into games as a service, where basically we now know that Sony bought Bungie, you know, the develop, Destiny developer Bungie, with the intention of not fucking around with, with Destiny, leaving Destiny alone and saying, listen... We're just looking to, uh, we're just looking to learn from you guys on your expertise on 
on games as a service type games. And I'm willing to bet you a lot of these Sony games that are games as a service will probably end up on Xbox. And I, I use Sony as the example, not Xbox, because obviously in the modern era, we're pretty used to an Xbox that plays nice. An Xbox that was pretty eager to get into cross-platform. An, an Xbox that was pretty cool with keeping Minecraft on PlayStation as far back as 2014 when they first acquired Mojang. You know, we're used to a pretty friendly Microsoft. They've had a really good relationship with Nintendo in recent years. They've been really PC-centric over the past decade or so, and they even play nice with PlayStation a little bit more and more these days. But PlayStation's always been kind of the barometer for me because they've been the most fuck-you-closed-off. I don't count Nintendo because their hardware couldn't run a fucking Game Boy port at this point. I don't... Uh, whatever. It doesn't count. So if Sony's willing to bend with that conventional wisdom, I think all cards are, are on the table. Like, anything is possible. And to know that, like, we're in a world now where Sony is starting to put more and more of their games on PC and talking about how PC has done so well for them that they might even decrease the amount of time between a game coming out exclusively for PlayStation and then that game eventually making its way over to Steam or PC or whatever. So that, paired with, obviously, we take it back to Xbox... Xbox's market being more and more these days about subscription services, getting you to subscribe to Game Pass. It starts to make you wonder, does the console exclusive matter as much as it did as much as it did then today? I think the obvious knee-jerk answer is no, it doesn't, right? Especially for Xbox, where your number one priority is trying to grow Game Pass. Because Xbox is now relegated to a platform where you can play Xbox games, but really we want to sell you Game Pass. And the more and more cloud gaming evolves and takes off and Xbox streaming sticks, which we'll get into in a little bit, becomes a thing. And the more, you know, playing Xbox games on your tablet or your phone or your computer becomes a thing, the less and less the actual Xbox hardware is going to be the core focus of Xbox. It's going to be more about this service. And so I feel like... Let's assume this was a situation in which Xbox had a say and they agreed to make this game multi-platform. I feel like that is, once again, an Xbox that says, yeah, sure, we will gladly take the money of PlayStation supporters who want to buy this game on PlayStation, who are not going to buy an Xbox, who are not going to subscribe to Game Pass either way, so we'll just take their money gladly over on PlayStation while everybody else can buy an Xbox, subscribe to Game Pass, play the game however they want, right, on the Xbox front of things. And when you're trying to support and fund and grow a streaming platform, you need a lot of, you need to pump a lot of money into that. And so I feel like we might see this more and more where, you know, things outside of like 343 and Coalition and Turn 10 type, you know, traditional Xbox games or studios might be able to start making more and more multi-platform games. And... That would help for, you know, an Indiana Jones game is obviously going to be a massive seller. This is going to be Xbox's Spider-Man. This is going to be Xbox's Arkham Knight. This is going to be Xbox's Hogwarts Legacy. It's going to be their big AAA licensed Disney type big pop culture movie whatever game with a AAA budget. It's going to be really well received probably and sell a shit ton of copies. There's only so many people you can get to subscribe to Game Pass. There's only so many people you can get to buy an Xbox Considering this is going to be this is going to be a Game Pass game, you might as well just try and profit somewhat off of PlayStation. The other thing is, it's quite possible this game was inked and signed and the deal was made 
And in fact, we know it's probably likely the case that this was all happening before Xbox properly owned Bethesda. So this could have been a requirement from Disney is like, hey, this game has to be multi-platform. We're not, we're not licensing out something as big as Indiana Jones to a publisher who's going to limit the number of platforms it could be on. Because if Xbox says, oh, if we make Indiana Jones, it has to be exclusive. Or if PlayStation says, oh, if we make Indiana Jones, it has to be exclusive. Why would Disney not just be like, well, fuck you. We'll take it to EA or Activision or Ubisoft because they'll put it on every platform. And we want money. We don't want console wars and weird arbitrary lines and laws preventing our game from reaching a wider audience. We want money. And so that's a very possible scenario. Only reason why it's hard to swallow that and agree to that and and believe it is because Spider-Man PS4 exists. Because that is a Marvel game, which is a Disney game, which means someone over on that side of things agreed to let PlayStation make a Spider-Man game that would not be available to Nintendo players, not be available to Xbox players. So there's a couple ways you can look at this. Does this have something to do with Lucasfilm and Disney getting involved? Or does this have something to do with Xbox and just trying to put the game in as many places as possible to try and help fuel Game Pass and recover costs on the game because they're probably not going to sell as many copies if they're giving away through Game Pass. Obviously, games like this are really expensive because they're AAA games on top of being huge licensed property. So maybe there's a little more desire to recoup your costs. Ultimately, I don't necessarily think one or one or the other of these arguments are necessarily exactly what happened. But for it to not be an Xbox exclusive, I feel like it's kind of a missed opportunity to try and tie it back to what I was opening this story with. I don't mean to be toxic. I don't mean to be, you know, that guy. But Xbox bought Bethesda and literally said that they want a lot of a large part of this deal is to get games on Xbox is to give Xbox players access to some really great exclusive content. And they said they'll honor deals where it makes sense and where historically a franchise has been available on a different platform, blah, blah, blah. We know like Elder Scrolls Online. But we haven't had an Indiana Jones game in so goddamn long, and it, it's never been made by Machine Games, published by Bethesda, who's owned by Microsoft. This is all new territory. There's no precedent for this. And so, you know, Jez even mentions, he heard a long time ago it was not that it was not exclusive and it might be multi-platform. My guess is that this is just my guess to having to pick one of these options that I've I've laid out here. My guess is that he heard a long time ago about this game back when it was in early conversations between Bethesda and maybe Disney or Lucasfilm. And originally the idea was this would be a game for all platforms, but since has folded under the umbrella of Bethesda being owned by Microsoft. And now things have been retalked to make this an exclusive game because I feel like if Disney is concerned about not making enough money and wanting this to be everywhere, Microsoft could easily be like, name your fucking price. Because if you're Microsoft right now, you got to be kicking yourself, as we learned last week, over passing up the opportunity to have the Marvel license. Also, if you're Xbox, you got to be clamoring at the opportunity to have your version of Spider-Man PS4, your version of like a Batman Arkham game. You want that exclusive big Hollywood movie blockbuster IP that you can slap on one of your exclusive games and be like, yeah, I know you guys love Indiana Jones. That shit's only on Xbox. You need something like that. So I feel like it is a bad business decision, a huge missed opportunity for Xbox if they're not trying everything in their power to lock this in as a console exclusive. I think it's a win for consumers if it is multi-platform, to be clear. So... 
I'm conflicted. I, I, I in, in wanting to see Xbox carry out their vision and do their thing that they talk about, this game needs to be exclusive. But as someone who just wants to see people not be locked out of cool games, cool. It might be multi-platform. That's awesome. I will gladly play it, including my Game Pass subscription, while PlayStation players gladly play, pay 60 to $70 uh, to buy it because they don't have Game Pass. So... I don't know, man. There's a lot of things with this. I I, ter- I tend to fall in the camp that this is probably an old conversation that has since evolved. But anything could be true. Um, I just don't see how, you know, unless Xbox is comfortable with it being multi-platform, how they allowed potentially for like Lucasfilm or Disney to strong arm them into making this a multi-platform game when Sony was able to do Spider-Man for for exclusively for PlayStation. Next up, Windows Central reports that for a few years, rumors have persisted of Microsoft exploring building some form of a streaming stick to offer xCloud gaming via a more affordable dongle, similar to a Chromecast or Google for Google Stadia. The first hint was Project Hobart, more recently codenamed Keystone, which appeared in an Xbox OS list, lending fire to rumors that Microsoft was continuing to explore additional hardware for the Xbox lineup. We can now confirm over at Windows Central that this is indeed true and that and it pertains to a modernized HDMI streaming device that runs Game Pass and cloud gaming services. Microsoft is, however, taking some time to explore additional iterations of the product before bringing it to market. In a statement provided to Windows Central, Microsoft spokesperson described its commitment to lowering boundaries to Xbox content via a low-cost hardware while acknowledging that the very existing version of Keystone needs a little more time to bake before going live. Quote, our vision for Xbox Cloud Gaming is un- is unwavering. Our goal is to enable people to play games that they want on the devices they want, anywhere they want. As announced last year, we've been working on a game streaming device, codenamed Keystone, that could be connected to any TV monitor without the need for a console, Microsoft said. Continuing as part of a technical technical journey we are constantly evaluating our efforts reviewing and learning and endorsing we are bringing value to our customers we have made the decision to pivot away from the current iteration of keystone device we will take our learnings and refocus our efforts on a new approach that will allow us to deliver xcloud gaming to more players around the world in the future from what windows central reports keystone has been in development for a couple years which microsoft is continuing to finalize its product future set feature set so we this the idea of this device existing is nothing new we've we've heard about this for a long time phil spencer has flat out confirmed that it's something that they're working on for the, for the future so that's not the surprising part i guess and none of this is technically surprising this is more just an update on something we already knew is happening to know that Xbox is reiterating on it and not just shitting something out tells me one of two things. Either one, they really, really, really want to get this right and make sure what they release ends up being something pretty compelling. Or two, they just really don't believe in the quality of xCloud at this point in time and they just don't see it being entirely viable. And that's the the one I'm more inclined to go with and believe in because... I'm going to tell you guys, I play xCloud. I give it a try all the fucking time. This thing is just so shoddy. Sometimes it works amazing. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. I played Marvel's Avengers uh, like two weeks ago. I, I tried it through cloud streaming. I, I wanted to download it, but it was a super big download. I didn't have enough storage. And it was just like, oh, just stream the game. Give it a try right now. Just stream it. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot you could do that. It was really cool. I was able to jump into the game. It was one of my better experiences with xCloud. And I was like, wow, this technology is so cool when it works. But in between that experience and the last time I had a good experience with xCloud, which was like when I played Shadow of the Tomb Raider like three years ago, two two or three years, I think two years ago, 
um, in between these two instances, I've had nothing but terrible, terrible experiences with xCloud. Trying to play Halo doesn't work. You can't play like an online game. Uh, just poor, poor service, big lag, just the screen rendering over itself constantly, getting so fuzzy and blurry that I can't even make out what I'm seeing on screen. This, this, this device, this service is not ready. I, I know Xbox wants it to be a thing. I think more so than them reiterating and trying to make it the best platform it can be, I think the real situation at, at hand here is that xCloud just needs more time in the oven. I, I think Xbox might be a little bit surprised by how long it's taken them to really work this thing out to be generally reliable, especially in places like like where I live, where internet's pretty pretty de- pretty decent. You know, I don't live out in the sticks in the middle of nowhere. I live like close to a pretty pretty decently sized city. You know, pretty populated area. So, and I remember playing. I do. I remember trying XCloud in the Atlanta airport last fall. I was waiting for a flight and I was trying to play Psychonauts two on my Surface Pro. And I just remember struggling so much, even in the airport. I'm like, what the, like, airport Wi-Fi should be great. Like, I'm in Atlanta. It's a massive tech hub for the Southeast United States. Like, I should be having a flawless experience with xCloud right now. No, it was rough as shit. And, you know, I've tried everything from my work Wi-Fi to the airport to my home Wi-Fi. And just, I've had such varying experiences, and it's usually pretty negative. So, my guess is that, obviously, this idea is not going anywhere. It's a great idea. It's a really, probably, important thing for Microsoft. But they just want to make sure xCloud is ready and properly baked and, and good to go. Because this is a stick you'll be able to market towards a very, very mainstream, or not mainstream, but... Yeah, a very general consumer kind of base. And and you want to sell probably like an $80 or $90 box, like somewhere between $80 and $100, bucks, a box that includes this dongle and an Xbox controller. You want to be able to put it on store shelves and sell it to anyone and everyone and be like, pop this sucker in your TV, subscribe to Game Pass, and you basically have the best of Xbox for 100 bucks. you know? I assume this is a thing Xbox wants to do in the future, right? They're they're not going to get there if they if they release a dongle like this now in the current state of of XCloud. So it's going to take some time to get better and better. But it's cool to see that they're still really trying to kick this up. Now, I, I assume when you boot this thing up, it probably is just some stripped down version of the Xbox da- Xbox dashboard. It will probably look and operate kind of like the Xbox dashboard, but. It will be bare bones. This thing is mostly just connecting to a server and playing Xbox games. But it's cool because this is also another way for Xbox to try and dominate the living room in its traditional sense. Because you can get all your streaming apps like Netflix and Spotify and Hulu and Disney Plus all into this stick as well. For people who, for whatever reason, don't have smart TVs today. You know, that's another way to just get Xbox to be the center of the living room, which was the original vision and purpose of Xbox. So great idea. I just think it's not ready for the market. And I think Microsoft is realizing that despite the fact that I'm pretty sure they expected by now it would have been better off. So there's that. I I don't have much more to say about that other than, you know, this is an important key factor in Xbox's vision of we want to put games everywhere and everywhere and empower as many players as possible on more platforms, but I think their idea is still platforms where Game Pass exists. So this might even play into our old story we just talked about, our last story about Indiana Jones, where the intention, I think, is to try and get xCloud, get Game Pass onto as many platforms as possible. Phones, tablets, computers, streaming sticks, Xboxes, PCs, you name it. And then to put all these games everywhere because as long as you have access to xCloud and and Game Pass, good for you, you know? 
And eventually the idea is to try and maybe work Game Pass onto PlayStation and work Game Pass onto Switch, even if it's a different version of it to some extent, because you want your service everywhere. That is what you're selling more than anything. And that's probably why they shouldn't put Indiana Jones on PlayStation is because later on down the road, you want to use that, put it into Game Pass and try to get that on the PlayStation. But I think we're very far away from that happening. All right. Our next story. Here's a, some breaking news about Star Wars Jedi, the next entry in the series. Following this month's speculation, Electronic Arts have officially announced that Star Wars Jedi Survivor will, with a new teaser trailer, this is the new sequel to Jedi Fallen Order, which was released in 2019, due for release in 2023 for Xbox Series consoles and PC. Jedi Survivor is a sequel to developer response Jedi Fallen Order. It picks up five years after the events of the first game. Accompanied by his trusty sidekick BD-1, protagonist Cal Kestis, one of the last remaining Jedi in the galaxy, must acquire new skills and grow his connection with the Force to stay one step ahead the Empire's constant pursuit. Fallen Order's game director Stig Asmussen, uh, who was God of War 3's creative director at Sony Santa Monica before joining Respawn, is again leading development of the sequel, saying, quote, even before completing the first game, our team had a vision of how to carry out the adventure for Cal and BD and the crew into a sequel. For Jedi Survivor, we're working in lockstep with Lucasfilm Gaming to build the legacy of Jedi Fallen Order, while we're also leveraging advanced technology to create a more dynamic Jedi combat and cinematic storytelling experience to expand Cal's story as he matures and survives during the dark times. We can't wait to share more later. So... This has been rumored for a while that this game is set for 2023 and that it was titled Jedi Survivor, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. So this is really more confirmation than it is reveal. Uh, but nonetheless, good to have that because especially when you look over at EA, we don't have we don't really have a comprehensive slate of what's going on over there. We know now they have Jedi Survivor. We know, of course, they always have Madden FIFA. We know that they have the Dead Space remake on the way. But other than that, it's just this vague notion that, yeah, there will be another Dragon Age of Mass Effect maybe someday, somehow. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah, Skate 4, it's in development, kind of, fuck you. So this is helpful because this kind of helps more than, you know, I don't have much to say about this. I liked the first Star Wars Jedi game. I will play the sequel. Cool. Like, there's nothing to say here. They didn't show a trailer. There's nothing to really glean from other than, okay, they got another one coming out. It's next year. It's the sequel to the first one. Good shit. But more importantly, I think this this gives us a fuller picture of what's going on at EA, what we can expect from them, because everything's going sideways with Battlefront right now. We know they're not working on really any other Star Wars games at the moment, or at least, um, sorry, at least like Battlefront games or anything like that. Really, Respawn's the only one working on Star Wars, and they have some other side projects with that too, but that's that's about it, man. EA's kind of in a weird spot right now. They're just making their money off Apex Legends and The Sims um, and they're doing fine, but it just seems like they're very quiet right now for one of the biggest, biggest publishers. And there's just no real fire coming from them. So I'm kind of interested to see what that looks like. Now we have a slightly bigger picture, but honestly, for the rest of this year, like that doesn't leave them with much. They got, again, they got Madden and FIFA. But other than that, you know, their next big games are Star Wars Jedi Survivor and, um, Dead Space Remake, which are both slated for next year. So very interesting where to see where EA is at. Obviously, we know there's going to be another Battlefield game. We know they're going really hard into Battlefield. They've opened new studios. They got Marcus Leto. They got Respawn. They got all these 
teams and people working all around Battlefield now, so there's that. But uh, EA might be having a little bit of a Ubisoft situation right now where things are kind of catching up to them, probably for, with the work-from-home situation from the pandemic, and now they're kind of finding their lull. 2022 is going to be a little bit of a lull for them. And so while, yeah, it's exciting to get more confirmation on this, maybe we'll see it this summer at the Game Award or at the Games Fest or something like that. That's very possible, in fact. Until then, all right, EA, what else you got? All right, guys, and then that's pretty much it for the week. Uh, pretty short news week. We're going to round out with, from Xbox Wire, a list of Game Pass games coming and going this week. Now, keep in mind, we're getting some really cool shit to Game Pass this week, so let's go over this real quick. From Xbox Wire, coming soon, in the coming days, actually available right now, at the time you're listening to this, For Honor, Marching Fire Edition is on Cloud Console and PC uh, for Game Pass. So that's a pretty cool one, I guess, for some people, whatever. This next one, though, June 2nd, the day this podcast goes live, we got a really big one coming. Ninja Gaiden Master Collection is coming to console and PC through Game Pass. This is awesome. I almost bought this a few weeks ago, so I'm actually really excited to see this is on Game Pass because now I I can save that money because it's included in my subscription service. So... This is awesome. Um, I've been meaning to give these games a try again. I know I'm going to get my ass kicked and give up on them, but I would like to give them another go. Um, so Ninja Gaiden, pretty cool get. Assassin's Creed Origins is coming June 7th, cloud console and PC. That's a huge one, guys. We don't really get a lot of Ubisoft stuff, so that's a that's a big, big get, especially when Ubisoft has that Ubisoft Plus service they're trying to push. This detracts from that and gives to Game Pass. So obviously we know um, that's, a, that's, that's a pretty sizable and chunky get for us Xbots. Now that is Origins is the one that came out before Ragnarok. Is it Ragnarok? Is that how it's said? Valhalla? No, no, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yeah, pretty recent game. Not the most recent one. Anyway, next up we got Chorus coming to Cloud Console and PC on June 7th. Chorus, for those who don't know, is like this um this dogfighting space shooter. I've been very interested to try this game. This is another game I almost bought. I put it in my wish list and I was waiting for a time where I was really itching to try something new, but I had nothing in my backlog that was interesting me. Um, so I, another game I was actually planning on buying in the near future and here it is on game pass. So that's awesome. I'll have to give this one a try as well. That game looks very, very cool. Um, disc room cloud console and PC June 7th. And then finally on June 7th space lines from the far out comes to cloud and uh, sorry, comes to console and PC through ID at Xbox so tons of really good shit coming to Game Pass, especially, you know, special shout outs, Chorus, Assassin's Creed Origins and Ninja Gaiden Master Collection. Some really heavy shit. And then on June 15th, we're actually losing a few games. So we'll lose Greedfall on cloud console and PC, which people really didn't care for that game. Limbo on cloud console and PC, which obviously a beloved 360 classic arcade game. And Worms Rumble will leave Cloud Console and PC on June 15th. So make sure you try one of those three games or all three if you're interested before they are gone from Game Pass, you you witch. But guys, that's going to do it for all of our big news this week. Now, let's round out with the important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not quite important enough to warrant their own discussions. First one here is that sad one. VGC reports that Hangar 13, the studio behind Mafia 3, has reportedly been hit with another round of layoffs following the cancellation of several projects. Now, we know they're working on another Mafia game right now, but apparently it took quite a while and quite a few canceled projects to get back to this point. So that's really unfortunate. In the report, the California-based studio has seen almost 50 devs let go in the past week. This follows the the resignation of the studio head Hayden Blackman early in May. 
Next up, Microsoft have revealed the June 2022 Xbox Live Games with Gold titles. Yes, normally this would be at the end of the show, but we're no longer doing that. We're just announcing it once at the beginning of the month when they become announced, and then we move on with our life. So for the month of June, guys, you can get on the Xbox One front on Xbox One in Series X. Subscribers will be able to claim Avon Colony for the entirety of the month. Also, Project High Rise Architects Edition will be available as a free-to-download title from June 16th to July 15th. And then for Xbox 360, Super Meat Boy will be free on for Xbox Live Gold members for the first half of June. And for the latter half of June, 16th to the 30th, Xbox 360 title Rascals will be free to download. So make sure you download all those. Also, still, Yoku's Island Express and Viva Pinata Party Animals is still available. Actually, that's not true. They're no longer available starting now. And Inner World, The Last Wind Monk is available until June 15th. So make sure you download those games before it's too late. Free shit is good shit. And finally, VGC reports that CD Projekt Red have confirmed The Witcher 4 has entered pre-production. It's also revealed that the at the time the open world title is being built in Epic Games' Unreal Engine instead of its proprietary Red Engine, which we already knew, which powered the previous games of Cyberpunk and in The Witcher series. So that's a whole lot of nothing. That basically just means that game is very, very far away from coming out, but it's news nonetheless, I suppose. But that's going to do for all of our news of any consequence this week, guys. Now we wind down... Take another deep breath. And we close out this week's episode with comments, shout-outs, questions from you guys, the audience, over on YouTube.com. You know how it works. You go to YouTube.com slash Xbox on Podcast. Click on the latest episode. Maybe even hit the subscribe button while you're there. We're on the road to 1,000. Very, very close. I appreciate you guys' support. Click on the latest episode. Leave a comment. You can say anything in the world you want. You can say something nice like Jesse. I'm glad to hear you like the new Mountain Dew flavor, but I thought you were counting calories. Why are you such a fat piece of shit? Please stop eating all the Mountain Dew. You freeze it and you eat it. It's weird. It's gross. It's the wrong way to consume it and you're dumb. And I'll read it on the, con- on the show and I'll be like, this is really unrelated to the show, but it's what you want to comment in on. But you can also say something really nice. You can say, Jesse, I've noticed that you changed your shampoo recently. I like the way it smells and your hair looks cleaner and fresher than ever before. Keep up the good work. Three years of this podcast feels like it's only been a week, boy. And I'll be like, wow, kiss, kiss, read on the show. But we didn't get any comments like that. In fact, I don't really understand any of the comments we got this week. It's a lot of, well, you'll see. Our first comment comes from Moose, who says, I really appreciated that when you were describing a piece of shit Twitter user on the podcast, you really just described, your descriptors were an iPhone user. I'm not trying to say anything mean about iPhone people. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm listen, very, iPhone, and it, listen, all people are shitty. I'm not trying to single out iPhone people. I used iPhone predominantly for a very, very long time. In fact, I've used, even though I'm a Windows fan, a Windows phone fanboy, I've used iPhone more than any of the phone platforms. Currently, these days, I use Android, but I love iPhone. I think it's a great platform. I don't mean to disgrace or insult you if you're an iPhone user. But it is true that if you're trying to be the coolest, most suave, most I have the coolest hot takes, I have the dankest memes, I have the funniest one-liners and shit like that on Twitter. If you're trying to be that little fuckboy, you're an iPhone user. The shitty Android users are usually more like the people with constant spelling errors and really like fringe internet takes that they got from like being too deep into 4chan forums for a long time. They don't have like a proper read on like what normal people like eat and breathe because they're just so nose deep in their fucking... Mega Man ROMs that they play on their stupid Android phone. So I'm not trying to say iPhone people gross, Android people good. I'm just trying to say for the type of shithead I was describing, 
I was envisioning an iPhone user. But Moose, don't be a shithead. EA is looking to sell. We talked about that last week, and Kronky has a, a comment he would like to throw in regarding the story. He says, I would have vastly preferred Microsoft buying EA over Activision. EA owns more amazing properties, and the, quote, talent at Blizzard and Activision has already left anyway. Also, EA would have benefited from it more. I actually agree with you, Kronky. I don't know about the whole the talent has left thing, because that's true in some cases, but... I don't know. I, I, I think, obviously, Activision Blizzard still has a lot of its awesome talent. You think about a lot of the good guys over at Treyarch making their Black Ops games. They're still there. That's all I care about. But no, no, no. More, in all seriousness, um, I, I, I actually agree. I think if we're going to talk about the big, big publishers and which ones make sense being gobbled up by the competition, I think of the big three, Activision, EA, and Ubisoft, if Microsoft were going to buy one of them, EA makes the most sense with Xbox in terms of its historical relationship, in terms of its more recent relationship, in terms of the IP EA owns making sense with Xbox. It all just makes more sense on Xbox. It also bothers me a little less because EA is just a smaller company with less output and so therefore just fewer properties and games get gobbled up by Microsoft. I also feel like EA has a little bit more of a... I don't know how to say this. This is, this is a bad analysis because this... this constantly changes between all the big publishers but I feel like there's something about EA that's a little more like clean and polished and put together over Activision which is a little more like hey here's this again so I I don't know there's just something about it I I wouldn't have liked this obviously I I still am very much staunchly on team no more consolidation everyone just fucking do your thing and be independent try to be the best company you can be but I, I agree I think EA would have actually made even though I personally like more Activision games I love call of duty i love guitar hero bring it back you know i i I think ea just kind of maybe in a maybe in just a weird is um idiosyncratic kind of just personal perception way think that ea just makes more sense with 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 uh, microsoft although i guess i'm not able to quite put my finger on that uh for whatever reason but uh nonetheless that's not the reality also it looks like ea is going to consolidate anyway so don't, don't harbor these feelings. There's no chance in hell Microsoft's going to get EA because there's, they'd have to be fucking stupid to try and go after EA while they're trying to <laughs> trying to get this uh, Activision deal approved. So Microsoft is straight up off the, off the table. I can't imagine Sony's even remotely interested in, in EA. So I, I really do think EA is absolutely going to get acquired or merged because that's clearly what they're going for. But it's going to be with one of these... One of these companies that, you know, we, we saw in the report, you know, whether that be like a Comcast or an Amazon or or a Apple or someone like that. So it's going to be crazy shit, but we've not seen the end of this consolidation. And, you know, people are hungry for talent. They want the development talent. They want in a world where it's getting so, so, so expensive, that knowledge, that talent, that IP, everything. These, these companies want to buy up and consolidate because it's the only way to, you know, keep things keep things functional i guess for them it seems now next up mr maug writes in says in regards to the uh story last week of xbox could have had marvel and says to think there was a chance for xbox to have a spider-man game or hulk ultimate destruction 2 and possibly still work with insomniac but that was at the time where microsoft was debating on even keeping xbox alive or not good job on the weight loss jesse just don't starve yourself okay i okay first of all don't say good job on the weight loss because the past month or two I've kind of stopped doing a good job on that. Ever since I ever since I had that little like two night staycation, I stopped 
being a good boy. But I'm getting back at it. I went to the gym for two hours last night, so good on me. And just to clarify, I'm not one of those douchebags. It's like I, I'm pumping weight at the at the gym. I, I watch YouTube videos while I walk on the treadmill. It's not that impressive. Anyway, yeah, to speak to this, I, I, I got to be honest, man. I know the reports and the rumors and the insiders were all saying back in like 2014, Microsoft was considering just selling off the Xbox brand. They wanted to get out of gaming altogether. Even back then and to this day, I do not believe that. I know people are like, oh, well, we have like proof that that was a thing. I, I don't believe that was a thing. I really don't think that was something Xbox or Microsoft were seriously considering doing. And I don't think there was ever a really serious chance of that happening. Because at the same time they were thinking of selling off Xbox, that was the same time they had just launched the Xbox Series X with the Xbox One, which they had to support. And it was the same time that they had just appointed Phil Spencer as head of Xbox. So they had made some pretty big commitments around that same time for the Xbox brand. I think there were a lot of decisions they were walking back and in, in insecurities about the brand and questions they had for how to handle things going forward. But I kind of reject that that rumor and that long-reported conjecture that Microsoft was thinking about getting rid of Xbox. I just, I know that was like right, that was like the very end of the Steve Ballmer intro into the Satya Nadella days. I know. But I just can't imagine Xbox or Microsoft were stupid enough in those days to have not seen the value that the video games industry provides to the tech industry as a whole. And to, into, especially as we move into a world where companies are obsessed with social spaces. Obviously, in today's world, it makes more sense than ever before. I don't think Microsoft would even remotely considering... I don't think modern Microsoft would even remotely for a second consider getting rid of Xbox in a world where everyone's jumping after the metaverse and work from home. And we see the way that gaming is so fundamental to building virtual spaces, cultivating and building online ecosystems and social spaces and interactivity across, you know, different destinations and places. I don't know. It, I, I, I still I find it hard to believe that no one at Xbox who is a real decision maker was smart enough to be like, no, 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 no. You hang on to Xbox. That's important, but whatever. I don't know. Agree or disagree. Rebecca Don't writes in, following up about her request last week for me to try some Australian treats and says, hey, my last name is pronounced Don't. So close enough. Well, I'm sorry, Rebecca. I suck at pronouncing. I suck. I almost said I suck at pronunciating. I suck at pronouncing words. So please don't take offense, but I appreciate it. You say, so let's talk Aussie snacks. Shapes, okay, so you're listing out some Australian snacks that you recommend I try. I, now, for the flow and convenience of the show, I've pulled up pictures on Bing Image Search for for some of these treats just to get some context. You say, the first one you said, try Shapes, either barbecue or pizza flavor, Twisties, and Tim, Tim Tams. I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but as someone who works in the in a gaming store, Xboxes are less are seen less than PlayStation 5s. Is it the same over there? Pre-orders are dropping every four to six weeks for PS5s, and Xboxes are even longer wait times of almost eight weeks. Well, Rebecca, it sounds like you have more um, reliable anecdotal evidence because you actually work in a gaming store. I, I don't work in, in, in a store like that, so I can't say off of that kind of experience. And personally, I just don't pay too close of attention uh, because I have no interest in buying a PS5 right now. And I was fortunate enough to get my hands on a Series X. So I don't look as often as I, you know, obviously see 
the conversation surrounding the availability of these platforms constantly on the internet. But I, I do make an effort every time I'm at a Target or a Best Buy or Walmart or what have you to always stop by and just check the con. You know, as you do, you know, anytime you go to a grocery store, um, I should say whatever. I know you guys don't have Target in, in Australia, but you know what I mean. A Walmart, whatever. As you do, anytime you go to these stores, there's always I don't know. I know a lot of you guys are gonna know what I'm talking about. There's always that itch to like kind of wander over to the games aisle, even though it's like, yes, I buy all my games digital, so I don't need fucking the video game aisle of the store. And yes, I already have an Xbox, so it's not like I'm in the market to buy another Xbox. But there's always that weird like I can't go into a Target or a Walmart or a Best Buy without just like peeking into the games aisle for a little bit and be like, huh, what's going on over here? You know? And I always pay attention to the stock of consoles. And these, it was very different a year ago, but these days, I usually see any PlayStation is sold out. I've never seen a PlayStation 5 in stock at a store ever, not once in my life. And then Xbox Series X is always sold out. I've never seen a Series X in stock ever. Xbox Series S, I see all the time. It's not, it's not like every time I go to the store, I see it, but it's like more often than not, when I go to the store, I see a Series S available. Uh, and then Nintendo Switch, I, I never see the regular Switch, but I always see... Actually, that's not true. I always find the Animal Crossing Switch or the the Switch, the little portable one that doesn't dock or do any of the Switch features. Um, so I always find those two available. But long story short, uh, in my anecdotal experience, um, it seems like PlayStations are generally harder to get. But also, keep in mind, I think in Aust- I, I, unless I'm mistaken, the Australian market, they have a higher IQ because Xbox, if I'm not mistaken, is actually um, the more popular brand in in Australia over PlayStation. Whereas in the U.S., I mean, obviously the U.S. is a huge market for Xbox, Microsoft, American company, home market, Xbox. But PlayStation is also a really huge brand in the U.S. as well. So where I live, I know it's pretty neck and neck, although it's it's seemed the past 10 years or so like PlayStation's the reigning champ. Um, but it's a little more evenly split here with the PlayStation and Xbox fans. But no, I, I've never seen a PS5 in stores. Now, back to the more important part of your comment where you talk about these various Australian snacks. I looked them up. I have some images here so I can kind of go off of them. Now, let's let's start with um, shapes. You said shapes. You said start with the barbecue or the pizza. I have never once in my life heard of shapes. These look like these look like a couple of things we have here in the States. There are these things called chicken biscuits. I think that's it's kind of an obscure snack here. It's not a really common treat, but you can find them in American grocery stores. They're kind of like garlic herb flavored crackers. You know, um, they're not really all that all that amusing. But I remember having those once as a kid. These uh, these shapes kind of remind me of that a little bit. They also kind of look like triscuits. They also kind of look like Cheez-Its. They also kind of look like wheat thins a little bit. They look like a lot of snacks, but some kind of cheesy flavored cracker snack that's that's fine i've never seen these before uh i i don't know if you could get them here i i i've certainly maybe maybe just gotta look into how to how to acquire them but man they they just look like some form of cheese it's to me i would 100 percent try one now i i do have to say they have a lamb and rosemary flavor they have a meat pie flavor and they have a flavor that's just called savory whatever the fuck that means but yeah, they have. I see pizza. I see barbecue. They have Vegemite. I've never had Vegemite, but I know it's like a really popular Australian thing. It's like a. I don't know what it is exactly, but I know it's like 
it's usually packaged like a preserve or a jam and you put it on like toast, right? Um, I've never had that, but they have a Vegemite flavor shapes. So that's interesting. I would try that. I just never heard of it or seen it. So I don't know where I'd get my hands on it. Now, the next one you recommended was Twisties. I'm confused as to which one I'm supposed to be looking at because I see, I see Twisties, which look like potato chips, I think. No, they look like pretzel sticks. Yeah, they kind of look like pretzel sticks. And then I see another thing called Twisties that are like a candy. They're like a like a fruit candy, and they look like a powder spray candy. I don't know which one the, this is a reference to. You'll have to help me out here. But if it's the candy, I have no interest because I don't like fruit candy. I like chocolate. But if it's the pretzel sticks, hell yeah, I love me some pretzels. So the fucker Twisties. Uh, anyway, the last one you sent me, and this one I actually think I I, I think we have availability. We have access to this snack, I think, in the in the states. Uh, Tim Tams. These are like chocolate covered biscuits or something like that. I'm like seventeen per. No, no, I'm way more than that. What am I saying? I'm like sixty four percent sure that I can go to the quote unquote ethnic or international aisle of a Publix or an Asian supermarket and find Tim Tams. I know, like, where I live, there's a huge British population. Like, tons and tons of British people flock to Orlando uh, to buy vacation homes and be rich and, and go to Disney World. So, all of our grocery stores around here have, like, an extra emphasis on carrying a selection of, like, British goods. You know, all your fucking marmalades and burnt toast and English muffins and all that shit they eat over in the UK. And I know, obviously, Australia is, is not is not the UK, but... I feel like for whatever reason, I've seen Tim Tams in that aisle. I could be just psychotic and losing my mind. Unless maybe whoever makes Tim Tams uh, have like some rebranded version of this treat that they sell in the UK under a different name or something or a different packaging. I don't know. It looks familiar. Please leave me alone. Stop stop bothering me. No, uh, all joking aside, this is the one I'm most interested in. It is a chocolate covered snack. I, I love chocolate. I will try anything chocolate. And they have a variant of it that has caramel in the middle. Yes, please. These look significantly better than, um, these look significantly better than Oreos. They look a little more like EL fudge, maybe. Okay, we'll move on with our lives, but Tim Tams look like good shit. I will try and see next time I'm at the grocery stores around here. I'll go to the quote unquote ethnic or international aisle and see if I can find any of these treats. I know even our local Walmarts have like a pretty robust, like our Walmarts in particular have like a really robust, like, aisle for like Hispanic food, but I'm interested. I want to try these things. Thank you for writing in. You piqued my curiosity. I love eating food. And now we will read our last comment of the week, which I labeled nonsense. It was written in by headhunting halo. You know him, you love him. You might even be related to him because God says we're all children of, uh, of the same Lord and savior. Jesse, if 2024 is flooded with games, what's wrong with that? Another big year for gamers. I love years like that. What a bummer. It's, uh, it is a bummer fall if short uh, if, if short for gamers. What? If short for games. But hey, I look at it as, well, at least we will for sure have a great game next year or in 2024. By the way, I'm level 88 in the Battle Pass for Halo and I'm almost done. I bet Modern Warfare 2 is going to beat all other COD sales. I agree. Uh, also, what the fuck happened to GoldenEye Remake? That was so heavily rumored. You should have a kitty meow on your next stream. Love you. Um, my kitty is right here napping i can see her right here but um yeah that that golden eye rumor was a huge thing maybe we hear something about it at the games summer games fest in, in in a few weeks 
Um, I don't know, man. That's that's actually a good good poll. Uh, but no, we've we've heard nothing about it. And I assume we'll hear nothing about it until either one it gets officially revealed, or two, Jez Corden decides to give us some juicy deets or someone like that, someone of his ilk, <laughs> someone of his his kind. Yeah, man, I don't. I I I have nothing wrong with. I have nothing against a busy year for gaming with tons of awesome games coming out. Obviously, that's great. I know there are people who are always looking forward to what's next. I'm just saying, for someone like me, it can be quite overwhelming when like seven good games come out in a short succession because you have that arbitrary need to keep up with the Joneses and play all the latest and greatest games. But when you have a slow year, it's kind of nice because it gives you the opportunity to kind of catch up on some stuff. But I will end with this. I agree with your assessment of Modern Warfare 2. Uh, Modern Warfare 2019 is the best-selling Call of Duty of all time, and I think Modern Warfare 2 will certainly be the will certainly top that. So good call there. But that's going to do it for all of our comments, our shout-outs, our replies for this week. Remember, for next week, do not be shy. Reply. Now, uh, that's that's uh, that's it. I, I feel like there's still like this abrupt flow because I'm so used to that being over and then me being like, now let me tell you what I've been eating. Now let me tell you what I've been playing. But no, that's it, guys. That's the whole podcast. Episode 156 in the can. If you'll excuse me, I need to run to the grocery store and look for some Tim Tams, some Vegemite, some Twisties, um, but no, remember as always, guys, I really appreciate, uh, your support. I support, I, I appreciate the listeners, everything you guys make this show worth doing. It's crazy to think I've been doing this for three years. It's crazy to think I've been living here in Orlando for three years. It's crazy to think that I moved here all bushy, bright eyed, ready to take on the world. And then like seven days later, they're like, Oh, the, um, the world is ending. Stay home. Don't ever go anywhere. And I was like, well, at least I have a microphone and internet connection and I can unleash my stupidity onto the entirety of the world. And if here's proof of that. We got fucking here's fucking proof of that. We got Rebecca don't writing in all the way from Australia. So I, I apologize, Rebecca, on behalf of the Australian people and to all of our international listeners. I know there have been many who have who have written in over the years. Uh, I've I've spread my American toxicity and stupidity onto you and your people and the world is a worse place because of it but i appreciate and love you guys nonetheless you guys make everything all right remember to follow me if you want more of my stupidity on on non-podcast days you can follow me on twitter if you want to interact with me reach out to me follow along with other stupid shit i'm saying that no one cares about that's at jesse DeRosa on twitter you can subscribe to the youtube to the xbox on podcast on youtube i have another youtube channel where i make videos that i'm really really behind on right now called lightning extreme lightning extreme also happens to be the name of my twitch channel twitch.tv slash lightning extreme where we're live every single monday at 8 p.m eastern time this week we played a lot of crossfire last week we played tron 2.0 we usually play a lot of halo or call of duty zombies but we're always playing something fun we're always having ridiculous stupid conversations but guys that's it. I'm winding down. I'm, I'm tuning out. I'm going to edit this show. I'm going to upload it and, and hopefully bless your timelines with it tomorrow. So until next week, guys, take care. Be safe. Have a great week. Empower your dreams. <laughs>